turning there, you know, over the past couple of weeks, we've been in this series called Stirring, where we're learning from James how really to stir our faith into action. And so far, just as a little bit of a recap, James has shown us that if we have a real, true, genuine faith, it should give us almost a joy when we go through hardships in life. But not only that, but real, true, genuine faith is all about showing compassion and mercy and tenderheartedness and kindness to those the world tends to overlook or just kind of push to the side. We also learned that real faith is not just about what we say, it's about what we do. It's about putting our faith into action, but it's also seen in how we speak with one another, how we talk to one another. And today we're going to learn the next part that James talks about, which is real wisdom allows us to overcome conflict and quarrels that we have in our lives. You know, there's this painting in a museum in Europe, and it's this beautiful, dark, surreal, storm-tossed landscape. It's got this picture of a waterfall just gushing over a cliff and crashing down on the bluffs below, and this bolt of lightning that seems to be ripping a hole through the canvas, tearing through the darkness of the night in the top corner. And the title of this painting is called Peace. And a lot of people, when they see this painting and they're like, wow, this is so beautiful. This is just a great painting. And they look at the title and say, what the heck was this artist thinking? Like, why could this ever possibly be called peace? And they just walk away scratching their heads. But what they fail to notice, and maybe what you failed to notice, is at the very center of this image is a little tiny bird tucked away in the crack of a rock, perfectly sheltered, warm, and experiencing peace in the midst of a storm. And that's why it's called peace. And I love this painting because I think it relates so much to us. We all are in storms of life. We all are going through various things and it seems like the world is just crashing down on us and we feel overwhelmed, we feel anxious, we are looking for answers, we don't know where to go and it can just be overwhelming and we get lost in it all and be afraid. But if we as Christians choose to really put our faith, our trust in the Prince of Peace, in the Lord of our salvation, there is a true safety and security and warmth and peace that can be had in his name. We just got to go after it. And the reason why I shared this story with you this morning is because I think this is exactly what James is leading us to in our passage. He says, if you want to have this kind of peace that can withstand the storms of life, that it can endure through the chaos and the fights and the quarrels that exist in our culture right now, well, it all starts with having wisdom, by asking God for wisdom. Now, he tells us there are two different kinds of wisdom in this world. There's worldly wisdom and there's godly wisdom. And so he starts by telling us about worldly wisdom. Take a look at this in chapter 3, starting in verse 14. He says, But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder in every evil practice. Man, did you catch that? (laughs) There is a wisdom that comes straight from hell. What this means is that we can go through this life thinking we're wise because the world affirms and tells us that we're wise. But in reality, this wisdom comes straight from the pit of hell. 
And this worldly wisdom, it's motivated by selfish ambition. It seeks to ask, how am I going to benefit out of things in life, out of experiences, out of how I treat other people? What's gonna make me advance in life? See, this is the same problem James was dealing with back in chapter one and chapter two. He says, you guys are showing partiality and favoritism in the church, like you're trying to get something out of it. You're using your wisdom to kind of lure people astray for your own selfish ambitions and personal desires. But do you know what this kind of worldly wisdom brings? Evil, disorder, chaos, conflict, bitterness, anger, arguing, quarrels with one another. And he's saying, do whatever it takes to stay away from these things. Don't engage in worldly wisdom. Do as far apart from it as you can. You know, worldly wisdom, what's so weird about it is that it tells you you have to always do whatever it takes to succeed to keep climbing the ladder, to keep going after all of these things. And we labor in our lives to do these things to no end. But what you realize, what's so fascinating to me is that the higher you go up trying to be successful, do you know what virtues are at the top to be a successful person, to achieve a lot in life? Kindness, goodness, mercy, understanding. Don't those kind of sound like the fruits of the spirit a little bit? So interesting. But James is saying, stay away from worldly wisdom. Move to having a godly wisdom in your life. And maybe you're sitting here today thinking, well, that's great, but how do I do that? What is godly wisdom? How do I get godly wisdom? Because that just sounds far off from where I'm at right now. Well, James already told us back in chapter one, he says, if you lack wisdom, what do you need to do? Ask Come before God. He says, it's there for you. I want to give you godly wisdom. All you got to do is ask for it. And do you know what godly wisdom looks like? What a wisdom from heaven really looks like? James tells us, look at this in verses 17 through 18. He says, but wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. See, this is a wisdom that can't be found in intellectual knowledge. It's not found in some weird experience or some man-made manufactured thing. No, it's only found when we're on our knees and we're crying out to God, God, help me. God, I'm in the midst of a storm of life. There is chaos that exists around me. There is fighting and bitterness and anger surrounding me. God, give me the wisdom to see through it. Give me the wisdom to help me through it. It's such a beautiful picture. You know, wisdom is something that's so important to God. In some translations, wisdom appears 365 times. Isn't that ironic? That means we're to have wisdom every single day of our life. And wisdom's not mentioned anywhere more than in the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs paints this beautiful picture of wisdom. Look at this in Proverbs chapter two. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds victory in store for the upright. 
He's a shield to those whose walk is blameless, for he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Man, that is such a beautiful picture. This is a picture when husband and wife, when friends, when coworkers, when neighbors, when relatives, when we as the church just simply come before God, fall on our knees and say, God, we just want what you can provide. God, it's not about our selfish ambition. It's not about our selfish desires. Father, it's just simply about what you wanna give us, what you wanna reveal to us how you want to move inside of our life, that it's not motivated by selfish ambition, but it's motivated by God. Because you know what worldly wisdom brings? Pride. But what does godly wisdom bring? Humility. That's where it comes down to it. That's exactly what he's getting at here. And what's so cool is when you really start to unpack what James has to say about wisdom and what godly wisdom is, you'll find that it directly relates to the Beatitudes of Jesus, to who Jesus says are the blessed ones. Take a look at this. This is so cool. On the left-hand side, you're gonna see James and how he defines wisdom. On the right-hand side, you're gonna see who Jesus says the blessed are. James says, wisdom is pure. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. Wisdom is peace-loving. Blessed are the peacemakers. Wisdom is considerate and gentle. Blessed are the meek. Wisdom is submissive. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Wisdom is full of mercy. Blessed are the merciful. Wisdom is full of good fruit. It's impartial and sincere. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Just let that sink in for just a second. How amazing is that? That the wisdom that comes from God is directly tied to the blessings that come from God. And if we choose to seek God's blessings, there's no way evil or discord or fighting or quarrels can enter into our life because we're filled with godly wisdom, a wisdom that can really make a difference in our lives and fill us up and allow us to be who God has called us to be. See, godly wisdom, it doesn't result in evil or disorder. It results in humility. It breaks down pride and all of these kind of things. And it's so amazing when we actually see that. It leads you to purity and peace and righteousness. And that's what James is calling us to. That's what Jesus is calling us to, folks. He says, I don't want you to live in a life of anger. I don't want you to be fighting with each other all the time. I don't want you to be quarreling with one another every moment of your life. I've called you to peace. I've called you to righteousness. I've called you to purity. You just got to step into it where I have laid out before you. Because the truth is we are living in a world that implies worldly wisdom. They love it. And you know what happens when we truly start to see this worldly wisdom come into our place, into our lives? We start to go after our own selfish desires and our own selfish ambitions. And we butt heads with one another. But the only place that that should never happen, you know where it is? Right here in the church. We should not be fighting with one another as Christians. We should not be arguing with one another as a body of believers. But the sad reality is we are. Duke University did a study not too long ago where they said over the course of two years, 25% of all of the churches in America face such strict and powerful conflict that not only did a large number of people leave the church, but $680 million was spent in conflict resolution in the church. 
That's heartbreaking. That's heartbreaking to be able to hear that because we as a church, we're one body. We're one organism. We're one entity. To fight with ourselves is like me going into a fist fight and my fish is punching me in the face. That They're rebelling against me. It doesn't make sense. And poor James, he is watching this very thing unfold before his eyes. And so he looks at the church and he's looking at us even to this day and he's saying, the reason that you're fighting, the reason that you're arguing, the reason why there's so much conflict in your life and in your hearts is because you lack humility. Because you're full of pride. You're full of selfish ambition. And you gotta get away from that. You gotta do whatever it takes to step away from that. Look what he says in chapter four, verses one through six. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people. Don't you know friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason he jealously longs for the spirit he's caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace. That's why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. See, James just told us that wisdom that comes from God it leads us to humility. But wisdom that comes from man, it leads us to pride. And the reality is that every single one of us here in this room and even watching online in our flesh, we desire earthly things. We desire earthly pleasures. We always wanna go after the latest, the greatest, the biggest, the brightest, whatever it may be. These are the things that we go after for personal gain. And when we start to do this, you know what happens? We start to meet other people who also have very strong ambitions and desires in their life. And sometimes they line up, sometimes they don't. Sometimes you want the same thing and so you start to butt heads out of jealousy or as a challenge. Sometimes you want different things and pride steps in and you fight because your way is not the right way or it's not being had. And Jesus is calling us, he's saying, look, man, what you have to recognize is this has to stop because it's only leading to anger, to bitterness, to fights, to quarrels, to envy, to coveting, to killing one another. Folks, this is serious stuff. <laughs> the war, the battle that's raging inside of us is destroying our marriages. It's destroying our friendships. It's destroying our working environments, our relationships with our community, our relationships with God. Jesus says, this is not what I had intended for you. Not at all. I have called you to a life of purity a life of peace, a life of righteousness. Why are you fighting? You need to let go of that pride that you're so eagerly holding on to because friendship with the world means you're gratifying those sinful earthly desires in your life. You're choosing the world over choosing God. And I know that seems weird. What does that really mean, friendship with the world? It means we just need to stop indulging in earthly pleasures we need to stop going after things or letting culture dictate what we believe or what we value as Christians. Now, it doesn't mean when we see this passage, you're like, oh, I can't be a friend of the world, so I can't engage with non-Christians. 
or people who don't hold the same Christian values that I do. No, Jesus dined with sinners and prostitutes. He went into the streets. He was teaching and preaching and healing people and really making a difference in the world. But he never became part of it. He was in the world, but he was not of the world. That's the same thing he's calling us to. You know what? When people look at your life, they should say, yeah, that person, they may be living in the world, but there's something different about them. See how they love. See how they forgive. See how they understand. See how they show mercy. See how they really help people. See how they put other people before themselves. This is what James is calling us to. This is the very same thing that Jesus is calling us to, to have this countercultural vision of unity in the church. In this body right here, and that we stop fighting with one another. But the problem is, we're not doing it. And James, he's tired of sugarcoating it. He's tired of beating around the bush. So he's had it up to here at this point. So he's like, I'm just going to jab you where it hurts. I'm going to pull off the gloves and I'm just going to go for it. You know, the last 75 verses, do you know how he's addressed us as his readers, as the church who's reading this? Brothers, friendly, warm, inviting, makes you feel good. Man, I'm a brother of James. Woo! You know, in the 76th verse, what he calls us? You adulterous people. Ah, that's hard to hear. What he's saying is that any time that we as believers, as we as Christians seek Earthly pleasures, the bigger, the better, the grander, things are personal gain, we are running around and cheating on God because we are forsaking God for earthly pleasures. And he says, don't you know that God so jealously longs for the spirit he created to live inside of you? I mean, he's used this imagery, this verbiage for his people all throughout scripture, but what he's talking about here is God is so jealous for your love, for your affection, for your attention, that anything that stands to come in that way, it will be met with divine force. And it's not some kind of bad jealousy, like he's afraid you're gonna find something else greater than him in this world. No, it's a good jealousy because he knows there is nothing greater than him in this world. And he's calling us and he's saying, I don't want you to labor and toil in vain. I want you to be satisfied. And the only way you can be satisfied is when you're with me, when you find peace in me. And so he's gonna do whatever it takes to wake us up, folks, to get our attention, to command us, to call us out, to do whatever it takes to restore our relationship with him, to put our focus back on him, to start living for him in every single thing that we do. And James realized this. James saw this and you know the church needed to hear it. And so James just calls it out too. He says, here are 10 commands that I'm gonna give you. 10 things and he does it in military-like precision. He says, this is what you need to do if you're really gonna be all in for God. If you're really gonna have a light that's full of wisdom, that gives you peace, that allows you to overcome fighting and quarrels in your life. Here they are. Look at this in James 4, seven through 10. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. That's hard to hear. <laughs> That's hard to read. Can you sense some of the frustration in James's voice? as you read through that, 
his heart for seeing people's lives changed? James is saying, if you start to do these things, submit yourself, resist the devil, come near to God, wash your hands, purify your hearts, grieve, mourn, wail, change your laughter to mourning, to humble yourselves. When you do these things, it moves you away from your double-minded lifestyle and aligns your heart with God, with what he desires for your life. And when you have that, the blessings of God start to flow. The wisdom from God starts to set in and it allows you to really live a life of peace in the midst of a chaotic world, in the midst of hardships that are going on in our lives. But none of that happens unless we're willing to be broken down by it. We have to know that we're not doing this on our own. You notice that he says, come near to God in what? He will come near to you. God says, I wanna help you in this process. I'm not just saying you gotta do it on your own. I wanna help you, but it will never happen unless you're willing to take that first step. Unless you're willing to submit yourself. Unless you're willing to repent. You know, repentance is a word that's not very popular these days. Our postmodern generation hates the idea that we have anything to repent of. We'd rather hold on to our pride and our dignity and see God as an equal than to admit that we have anything to repent of. But that's an issue of pride. And James is saying, well, you need to break away from that. You need to step away from that, whatever it takes to align your heart with God's heart. But how do we do that? How do we submit? How do we repent? Well, these are the 10 things that James just laid out for us. But I think that we can kind of combine them down a little bit. Give us a bite-sized chunk of maybe five of them that we can walk out of here with today. And if you learn anything else from this message, I hope it's this right here. This is what James is calling us. This is what Jesus is calling to us to do. If we really want to have wisdom that overcomes anger and frustration and quarrels and fighting to have a peace from the Lord, this is how we do it. First, resist the devil forcefully. Resist the devil forcefully. Second, seek God passionately. Third, pursue purity wholeheartedly. That means be heated in it. It's supposed to say heartedly. Pursue purity wholeheartedly. Treat sin seriously and trust God completely. Resist the devil forcefully. This isn't just a one-off attack or temptation you're gonna experience in life. The sad reality is our whole life is gonna be marked by this. And if we keep putting band-aids on these attacks from the devil, no healing is ever really happening. We have such a powerful force that can bring healing into our lives that can help us resist the devil. Do you know what it is? Every single one of us in this room and online, we have this weapon. You know what it is? The name of Jesus Christ. That when we are undergoing temptation, when the devil is coming at us with everything that he has got, we have the power to invoke the name of Jesus Christ, to call it out and say, Satan, in the name of Jesus, flee. You know what happens? Satan goes running. Satan runs away and God comes near. We need to have that kind of power, that understanding of this power in our life to resist the devil forcefully with everything that comes in our life because he's not gonna stop. But we have the power to make him run away. Seek God passionately. Put our mind on God. We're in the midst of hardships or chaos or the storms of life or we feel compelled to argue and fight with one another. Pray, ask God for wisdom. God, how can I get through this situation? God, what am I supposed to do? Pursue purity wholeheartedly. Don't focus on earthly selfish ambitions, but focus on what God wants for your life. Stop putting your pride in place and humble yourself to see how God can use you. Treat sin seriously. 
So many Christians, I fear, don't treat sin seriously because they know God forgives them. God's a merciful God, and he's just going to forgive us if we ask for forgiveness so we can just keep on sinning, know that he's always going to be there to do that. We don't treat our sins seriously. But trust God completely. When it seems like the world around us is crashing down, when the storms of life are just bursting over, we need to have trust. God, I don't know what you're doing right now, but I trust you do. (laughs) I trust you know exactly what's going to happen. And I pray that you let my heart be attentive to that. See, folks, I really do believe as Christians, so many of us have lost the holy art of treating our sins seriously, of grieving, of mourning, of wailing over our sin. I mean, think about this. When was the last time you really wept, you cried, that you grieved over the trail of devastation, the broken relationships, the hurt, the pain, the suffering sin has caused in our lives? When's the last time we really were just broken by that? I know it sounds like a super depressing way to live, but you know what happens when we humble ourselves to do this? James tells us in 4.10, look at this. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Humble yourself inside of the Lord and he will lift you up. You don't have to assert yourself. You just gotta humble yourself. You gotta come before God and watch what he is doing. Be wholehearted 100% into it. See, deep acts are the only thing that lead to change. You have to be 100% in the game. You have to be willing to repent. You have to be willing to be submissive and submit to God and what he's gonna do in your life. And it's hard. It's hard to have that kind of peace, that kind of ability to humble ourselves knowing that God will lift us up. You know, one of the things that I really dislike the most about being a pastor is that God always seems to put me through whatever I'm preaching on the week before I preach it. (laughs) Tiffany and I are going through this right now in our lives. We've been trying to get pregnant again since October because we want Oliver to have a sibling. No matter how hard that we've tried, how much that we've wanted it, It's just not happening. And so we sought some medical help and we went through five medicated cycles to help stimulate ovulation for her and all five rounds failed. And so we sought professional help and we went to a doctor and we went through rounds of IUIs and the doctors were so encouraging. It's like, everything looks great. The numbers are great. Everything's set up fantastically. And there was one point they're like, man, you guys could have twins. We were just like, oh, praise the Lord. This is gonna be so exciting. We're so just thrilled that God is allowing us to grow our family and this is what we've been called to and we're just gonna be fruitful and multiply. It's just, this is the dream. And then they both failed. And then just before Father's Day, we learned that Tiffany went from a 20% chance to a less than 1% chance of conceiving naturally. Then I gotta come up here and preach a message. Blessed's the man whose quiver is full of them. (laughs) And it's heartbreaking. It's devastating. And it's hard in the midst of that to find peace, to understand what God's doing, because I don't know what God's doing. And I know that in the midst of all this, worldly wisdom tells us to keep trying to keep throwing money at it, to keep doing whatever it takes for our own selfish ambition to get what our hearts desire. 
But as we've been praying over this journey, every single night since October, our prayer has been that God would just give us peace no matter what the outcome would be. And unfortunately, the peace is not what I expected it to be. (laughs) I hope that the peace for both of us would be that we're at peace with the decision that there's a good chance that she'll never naturally conceive. But that's not the reality for my life, and I know it's not the reality for her either. The peace has come for me in knowing that God knows more than I do. And if we choose to submit ourselves, to humble ourselves, to put aside worldly wisdom, to really intentionally seek godly wisdom and to trust God completely and wholeheartedly, we know that he's gonna lift us up in his appointed time. We know that he's gonna sustain us. And yeah, don't get me wrong, it's hard. It's horrible to feel this way. I don't understand it, but I trust God in the midst of it. And yeah, it's led to some arguments and not seeing eye to eye at time, but that's because both of us were seeking our own selfish desires, what we wanted out of that situation. But once we started to pray for submission and just to be humbled by it and for peace, we found unity with each other. And instead of tearing each other down with our words, we figured out how can we build each other up? How can we help each other through this really hard time in our lives? How can we speak words to really inspire and and motivate and just direct ourselves back to God in everything that we do? And I share that because I think this is how James is kind of wrapping all of this up for this this morning. That if we're going to truly humble ourselves, our why has to be big enough. For us, we know that this is the best thing for our family is not to seek our own selfish ambitions, but really to seek God. Because God knows more than we ever possibly could. So we just need to trust that he knows what he's doing. But in the meantime, we need to support each other and not speak words where we're bashing each other or speaking hurtful words to each other, but really just lifting each other up through this. And that's how James ends our passage this morning. Look at this in verse four or chapter four, verse 11 through 12. It says, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. And when you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? See, James is talking about worldly speech that dishonors one another. You know, in Proverbs chapter six, it tells us six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. You know what one of those things is? It's the man who stirs up dissension amongst his brothers. Saying, don't stir up dissension. Don't create conflict or fights or quarrels with your brothers, your sisters, your coworkers, your family, your neighbors, your relatives, whoever it may be, just don't do it. And the hard part is so often we don't even know that we're doing it. Because when we see people, we just see them in that moment in time. And things come out of our mouths based off of what we see right then and right there. For instance, sometimes after service, people will come up to Tiffany and they'll say, hey, Tiffany, when are you going to get pregnant again? When are you guys going to have kids again? And I know that it's not malicious. I know it comes from a good place. And she puts on a great face about it. But man, does it just wreak havoc in her life. It sends that depression spiraling down even further that makes it hard to get out of. And it's just because people don't know. And I wonder how many times do we as Christians say things based off of a first appearance to someone without really knowing what's going on in their life. 
without really knowing the devastating trail that it can leave behind. Because as James is pointing out here, when we speak these things, whether it's good intention or bad, it's in violation of the law. You know what the law says? Love your neighbor as yourself. And not only are we in violation of the law, but we are offending the very one who gave us that law. That's why James says, don't tear each other down. Stop using these negative words. Stop judging people at first glance. Listen to people's hearts. Come alongside of people, build them up, lift them up, encourage them, make a difference in their life because you never know what somebody is going through. Seek godly wisdom when you are in the midst of a fight or a quarrel and ask him, God, is this my own selfish pride stepping in right now? Or am I really seeking you in this moment? See, the Bible is calling us to forsake this world in order to live in the world. And the only way that we can do that is if we really come alongside people and start loving on them. Start using godly wisdom instead of worldly wisdom to truly make a difference in this world. Would you pray with me? Father, God, we just humbly come before you right now. God, we know that you have called us to live differently. Father, to think differently. To have different desires, to have different affections in this world. God, I pray that we would just learn to forsake the world in order to live for the world as you have left the example for. God, that we would help other people. We would build each other up, not tear them down. God, that we would seek godly wisdom that just allows us to see the real needs of the world around us. Father, that we would just be compelled and we would be called and we would be led to make a difference in this world. Father, that we would move from a place of fighting and quarrels and anger and bitterness and envy and killing and coveting, Father, to just a place of love. Father, we can invest in people. We can encourage people. Father, we can help people. Father, we can stand up for those who don't have a voice. Father, we could provide for those who don't have a home. Father, that we could help those who are needing safety. Father, we can come alongside the orphans, the widows, the homeless, the poor, the needy. Father, and just really be your hands and feet in this world. God, I pray that you would just stir our faith into action. That we would stop merely just being hearers of the word, Father, but actually really be doers of the word. Father, that we would break free from our pride that leads us to fighting and being angry and just hostile with this world and just seek your heart. God, to seek your wisdom. Father, that we would just be attentive to your spirit. Father, to listen to what your spirit is calling us to do. So Father, I pray that you make us available. God, that you really just allow us to say, God, here I am, use me. God, show me what it is that you want to show me. Show me how I can help, how I can put my faith into action. Father, let us seek your wisdom. We love you. We just give you all the glory and honor. In your name, amen.